are going to continue today with our uh, series on fit, embodied mind and spirit. If you missed last week, um, it may be help- you may I won't recap the whole thing obviously, but it may be helpful for you to go back and have a listen if you haven't had a chance to online. Um, I started a new series called Fit, Embodied Mind and Spirit and I mentioned that I have hardly ever in my whole life heard a talk in church about what the Bible says about physical health and fitness. I've hardly ever heard that. Once I think I can remember. And judging by the responses that I've had from some of you this week, neither have you. Um, And this really struck a chord for many people. Thank you for your positive and encouraging feedback. Many of you have taken the time to speak or write to me um, after last Sunday's talk. So to recap briefly, what we looked at last week was what the Bible has to say about our bodies, our physical bodies. And for myself, I don't know about you, but I find it quite easy to think of relating to God in my mind and relating to God in my spirit, but I haven't, I don't think in my life, thought too much about how I relate to God in my physical body and what that means to me, what discipleship means practically, physically in my body for my health and my fitness. And I haven't thought too much about that over over the years, Um, and yet it's very much part of Paul's uh, teaching. In 1 Thessalonians, you don't have this verse. I've given you a lot of verses today, but you don't have this one yet. It says, may God, this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's encouragement to the church. Again, in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let's purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And then there is one verse that's at the top of your sheet that we looked at last week, which is from 1 Corinthians 6.19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you and whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price and therefore honour God with your bodies. And we talked last week about what that means and how we honour God with our bodies, not just by refraining from sexual sin, which is often the first thing that Christians think of when you think of bodily sin. But actually we honour God with our bodies, with what we choose to eat and drink and put into our bodies and how we choose to move and exercise and increase our body's health. Now before we go on, I just want to acknowledge that we don't all have the same body types or the same metabolism. We all know people who can eat a whole pizza and still lose weight walking from the restaurant to the car. And some of us simply have to drive past KFC, have a couple of sniffs, and we've put on a couple of pounds already. But having made those caveats, let's be real and admit that for many of us, there are things we could probably do to increase and improve our physical health one way or another. And there's a quote that I um, mentioned last week from this guy who is Pastor Rick Warren from a church in the States uh, called Saddleback Community Church. Um, And this quote, it kind of sets the tone for this. What you do with your body sets the tone for everything else. He says, physical health influences your mental health, your spiritual health, your emotional health, your relational health, and even your financial health. And last week I shared part of my own journey in this area, and I'll share more today. We looked at some material by Rick Warren from a book called The Daniel Plan, which I highly recommend if you want to take this theme deeper for yourselves. spoke to a number of people um, this week who've either had a look at this in the last year or so, or who've one, one person who said they bought it this week. Somebody else has told me they bought it for their wife for Christmas. I'm not quite sure <laughs> if that was the best thing to do or not. 
um, tr- truth is, Joe bought this book about a year ago, read it, and then told me, and I've only really read it properly for myself the last week or two, but I have made some changes in my own life based on basically a second-hand reading of this book, just from what Joe told me and using some of the plans uh, there. So it's a great program. It's not the only program. Um, it's, there's, there's plenty of good material out there that's helpful, but it's, very, it's got some good information, and um, it may be useful for you. I remember hearing um, once an actor, a reasonably well-known actor called Rafe Spall, um, interviewed about how in his 20s, this is him in an epic cult movie called, um, that's it, Shaun of the Dead. Um, but you can see in his early 20s, he weighed about 18 and a half stone. And um, basically, as he made the decision as he got older that he needed to lose a significant amount of weight because he'd proved his talent as a comedy character actor, but wanted to play the romantic lead. And uh, in, in, in his business, you don't get to play the romantic lead if you're 18 and a half stone. When asked how he'd managed to lose this weight, his very, very simple, straightforward comment stuck with me. Um, and I remember hearing him talk about this, and he just said, oh, it's simple. Eat less, move more. Eat less, move more. And that sounds really, really straightforward in theory, doesn't it? But as we know, it's not, always, it's not always easy to put into practice. And last week we looked at how we change our habits by starting to change our thinking. And as I said, there are plenty of philosophies out there. Many of them are helpful. But for today and for next week, this is a two-parter. I want to look at five essentials uh, from basically using a, a framework I've taken from this book, The Daniel Plan. Some of them are what you'd expect and others may be more of a surprise. But they are all biblical and they are all practical. And... The best thing about it is they are easy to remember because they all begin with the letter F. Okay? And that is faith, food, fitness, focus, and friends. Now, I'm going to concentrate on the first three today. Faith, food, and fitness. And we'll come to look at focus and friends next week. And also you'll hear from Steve and Jeanette next week, next week as part of that um, around, our, around what we can do with our mental health. And they're going to sort of tell you a bit about the mindfulness course that's coming up, the stress and mindfulness course that's coming up as one of our life groups this term. I'm not advocating, by the way, that everybody needs to sign up to this plan. I'm not saying that, though many of you, some of you may want to. And whether it is that we need to make radical changes or just whether we need to become more aware of our physical bodies, wherever we're at on this journey, there is biblical and practical wisdom here, which I think is applicable and helpful for all of us. And so I want to get to these three things. I'm going to start off by looking at the area of faith. You see, if we're trying to make any serious changes to our habits and our lifestyle, whatever they are, the first essential ingredient has to be faith. It has to be our faith in God and his power to help us change. We come here most weeks and we sing about it and we talk about it and we celebrate the fact that Jesus can change us. And yet sometimes we forget, or I certainly do, that faith in God is necessary to changes in every part of our lives, no matter how practical they might be. Whatever's going on in our lives, we rely on God for his grace and his power to know him and to love him. We're not in this for ourselves, we're in it for him. Ultimately, following Jesus is about love. Sorry, I lost my place. Ultimately, following Jesus is about love. And our key motivation for making any change is love. Not Jesus' love for us, because that doesn't change. 
Now, you could be too heavy or you could be too light or you could be just right or you could be healthy or unhealthy. You could be making all the wrong choices or all the right ones. It wouldn't make any difference to the way that Jesus loves you. But this is not about his love for us. This is about our love for him, which is expressed through all that we do. You know, when I fell in love with Joe all those years ago, I made some pretty big changes to my lifestyle simply because of my love for her and the fact that I wanted to please her and get close to her and relate to her, sometimes this came at a huge personal cost to me. I think she's already told you about the jumper she made me throw away, which was my favourite jumper ever and absolutely full of holes. Um, Our relationship with God is the same. He doesn't dictate how we should do this. He invites us. And it's out of our love for him and our desire to get closer to him that we are compelled to make changes. We've sung, to Je- we've sung this morning, all to Jesus, I surrender. We've sung worldly pleasures, all forsaken. Which is quite old-fashioned, lang- which is quite old-fashioned language, but basically, that's what we're talking about here. Ultimately, we know that God has the best plan for us. And if we want to honour him with every part of our lives, including honour him with our bodies, then we're going to need faith. As Rick Warren says, God's power is the key to any transformational change in our lives, including our health. Now, as we've already heard about, four brave people came up here last week and told us their stories about how God's power was helping them bring change and freedom from long-term addictions to alcohol, food, and social media. And that was all through the Power to Change course. You see, there's the power to change comes from him. Whether our habits are big or small, we can have confidence in God's better future for us and our certainty that what he has, that he has what we need to make the changes necessary in order to fully honour him with our bodies, which is what we're instructed to do in the Bible. Have you ever read a self-help book? Self-help books are usually full of really helpful wisdom and advice about what to change and how to change, but I've noticed that they never really tell us where the power comes from. Where does the power come from to help us change? It comes from the one who made us. It comes from the one who has a better future for us and who we can totally rely on and put our faith in. So faith is seeing a better future, God's better future for us, even though it's not necessarily visible now. There's a very famous verse in Hebrews. Uh, It's not that one. I'm still on that slide. Sorry. It's on your sheet, though. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we don't see. See, he made us. He knows us. He loves us. He loves us better than we, and he knows us better than we could ever know ourselves. Therefore, if that stands to reason, then surely he has the best possible plans for our physical health as well as every other part of our lives. Nod your head if you're thinking, yes, I agree. Okay, good, good. Just checking your weight. Okay. And therefore, and also he has the resources we need to see through any transformation. See, Proverbs 16.9 says, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. If you're a believer in Jesus, then you have to know and believe that God is in charge and he is establishing your path for your life. Yes, we have to interact with him. Yes, we have to partner with him. But he ultimately has a great plan. He sets our course and he guides us in the best way to go. He gives us his spirit In order to be able to make the journey, there's another verse there, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's in Zechariah. 
So let me ask you something. Question, do you believe that God has a better future for you than the one that you got, anyone that you might have been able to plan for yourself? Do you believe that? Okay, do you believe his power is enough to help you make any change that's necessary to become more of who he calls you to be? If so, then what is holding us back? What is stopping us? Maybe the problem isn't with him, but it's with us. And we do have a part to play here. And I touched on this last week. It starts by filling our minds with the truth. It starts by repenting of our poor thinking and putting our faith and trust back into God again. Ultimately, this is just as much a part of our discipleship as any other area. As it's the same as how we think about how we spend our money. It's the same as how we treat other people. It's the same as how much time we spend with God. This is about us relinquishing control and changing our thinking and pressing forwards, believing that God can help us do this and give us the grace when it gets tough. There's another verse on your sheet there, Philippians 4, 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. All of this. Our faith in God is not passive. It's not airy-fairy. It's not all in the mind. Faith is an active, living breathing thing it's almost a verb you could think of it as like a muscle a muscle needs regular exercise in order to function healthily and decision making getting out of bed in the morning earlier than we for example might want to putting on some sort of gym kit and getting out that's a, that's faith exercised by decision making faith that this is going to make a difference that's what i've been trying to practice for a while Imagine that there's a, ra a race that's marked out for each of us to run. Oh, we're not moving. Can you move it on for me, please? Thanks. Um, imagine, for some of us, maybe that race is a middle distance or a sprint. Maybe it's a marathon. Some people, their races are more like a triathlon or some of these crazy Ironman races you see that they do. It doesn't really matter what the length of your race is compared to anyone else. The point is that God has given you a race to run. And he's given me a race to run. And Paul talks about this in the Bible, and, and other people do as well. This is in Hebrews. I don't know about you, but I really want to finish my race. And I don't just want to crawl over the finish line. I want to finish it well. I'll be glad to get there. If I have to crawl over, I'll crawl over. <laughs> but I want to finish it well. And Hebrews talks about this, doesn't it, in verses, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let's throw off everything that hinders and sin that entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What do we, how do we do that? We do it by, verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So I just want to start by saying this talk today is not a self-help talk. This is not just a bit of worldly wisdom about how to eat better and how to exercise better. It comes in the context of faith in Jesus. The only way to make proper, decent, lasting changes in our lives using the power of God. Do you get me? I think I made my point. <laughs> Moving on. So that's faith. Let's look at food. <laughs> no, let's eat food. No, no, no. Let's look at food. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that didn't come out right. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, chapter 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. How is it, what does it mean to eat and drink for the glory of God? 
What does that mean? Now, whether or not you have a personal issue with food, no one could argue that in our Western society, we really do have an issue with food. Let me tell you this stat. In the United States, about three or four years ago, New Science magazine ran an article that said this. The largest ever study into the state of the world's health has revealed that, for the first time, the number of years of healthy living lost as a result of people eating too much is now greater than the number of years lost by people eating too little. That's a pretty sad state of affairs that we've got ourselves into as a society, isn't it? In other words, people are dying as a result of eating too much and eating the wrong sorts of food. Now, whether or not you personally need to lose weight, I know I certainly do, by the way, about two more pounds this week. Okay, thank you. All of us, all of us would do to really think about the food that we do eat and the habits that we've got ourselves into both as a society, as individuals, as a family, around food and food consumption. You see, throughout history, humans have eaten food that basically comes from the earth. Plants, seeds, grains, fruit. And meat protein from animals who have eaten food that comes from the earth. You get me? That's the way our bodies are designed to work. It's how we were created to function. And yet, over the last few decades, a complete revolution has taken place in the way that we consume food, particularly here in the West, which has massively moved us away from some of those original, straightforward, and biblical values. So that now pretty much everything we buy in the supermarket has been processed or altered in some way, sometimes in a small way, sometimes in a very big way, before it actually gets to our mouths. Now, that's not necessarily all a bad thing. There are different levels of processing, and some basic processing can be very beneficial to us. But the truth is, many of the processes that our food goes through in order to get to us, the stuff that gets added to it, the things that happen to it, have been shown now to be pretty harmful. Scientifically, it's been proven that most of these in the long term are not great for us, and some of them are really terrible for us. The stuff that's added to our food. So it's not really a surprise that our general health as a nation or as a society has decreased over this time. Now, exercise obviously has a part to play in this too, and I'll come to that in a minute, but there is a clear link between the kinds of food we eat and how it affects our health. Let me read you this quote from Rick Warren. It's quite a long quote, but it's worth listening to. Now, I told you last week about the church there that he leads. It's a big church, hundreds of thousands of people. There were 12,000 people who first, the first time they ran this program, this Daniel Plan program, 12,000 people signed up to it. Let me read you what he says. When we started the program at Saddleback Church, we designed it as a wellness program, combining the essentials of faith, food, fitness, focus, and friends into a powerful potion of renewal and healing. Not only did the original participants lose more than 250,000 pounds in weight in their first year, but they also reported improvement or resolution of chronic symptoms and diseases, including, there's a long list here, asthma, allergies, headaches, irritable bowel syndrome, acid reflex, autoimmune disease, um, depression, heart disease, diabetes, hypertension, acne, and skin issues such as eczema and psoriasis, brain fog, fatigue, and insomnia. They reported fuller engagement with their families, friends, 
church and community being better able to serve a higher purpose. Many lost well over £100 in weight and many type 2 diabetics got off insulin and multiple medications. We didn't have to treat their diseases individually. Now that's powerful, isn't it? That is really powerful stuff. The link between what we eat and our health and our well-being is so obvious and so profound. It's like the fuel that we just put, it's like the fuel you put in your engine. You get a decent car, you don't put cheap, nasty fuel in it. You put the stuff in that's going to make it work well. You know, when the, when the, I, I say I'm a cycling fan, I don't actually go cycling very much. I like watching it on telly, though. When, when, when the Sky cycling team compete in a big race, like the Tour de France, they take their own chef with them on the road. And he is responsible for cooking every, pretty much everything, cooking and preparing every bit of food that those competitors eat every single meal to make sure that they're at peak condition before, during and after the race. They don't trust anyone else to get that right. It's only one of the factors actually that that team does to micromanage everything around the, the competitiveness of their race, which is why they're so successful. When they first started doing it, they were ridiculed by the other teams. Who do you think you are? You bring your own chef on the road. Pfft. You know, They were criticised for being pompous until the other team saw the results it was making. Now, let me tell you one thing. God is not down on food. The Bible is based in an agricultural setting where they grew their own food and prepared it and ate it for meals and celebrations, much like the culture we have had for many cultures around the world have done for many, many hundreds and thousands of years. Despite there being some strict laws around food in the Old Testament, which are honestly pretty much more for reasons of holiness than about the actual food specifically, there is a lot of feasting in the Bible. Many of Jesus' interactions with people take place in and around a meal table. There's great work to be done in the growing of food and in the harvesting of food. And there's amazing, incredible creativity in the preparation of it. Using spices and oils and, you know, the, the smell of going into a kitchen where somebody is cooking. You know, food is really good. Food is a really good thing and it's from God. 1 Timothy says, there's a sort of little paraphrase of it there in your, on your sheet, 1 Timothy 4.3, God created food to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and those who know the truth. And also 1 Timothy 6, he richly provides us with everything, everything for our enjoyment. Food is there to be enjoyed and celebrated, so is wine. Although, as Paul says to Timothy, the key is everything in moderation. And unfortunately, our culture has lost sight of what the word moderation means. Let me give you an example. In the United States, there's a famous cookbook called The Joy of Cooking. Can you move it on one for me? Sorry, this seems to have died on me. The Joy of Cooking. It's uh, the one American cookbook that has been continuously in print since the 1930s. Okay? Researchers at Cornell University studied the way that this book has evolved over seven editions. The first one being in 1936. And what they've discovered over, is that over the last 70 years, the portion sizes used as examples in this book have continually increased. So that now, the calorie count for one portion is 63% greater than it was in 1930. 63%. After doing extensive, this extensive study, the researcher said, his conclusion was this, these recipes were once intended to serve nearly twice as many people as they do today. 
Don't let a full portion get anywhere near your plate. Isn't that interesting? Now, for me personally, I've never thought of myself as having a particularly unhealthy diet. It's not as if I have eaten masses of junk food all the time. It's not as if I've really... But it's not as if I've really thought about portion size. And as I said last week, over my life, I've got into some pretty bad habits, and there are certain foods that I would find incredibly comforting, and which I would probably eat way too much of without even thinking about it in the past. I've gotten some really bad habits over the years. So as a kid, one thing I used to love that my parents would give me was Kellogg's cornflakes. You know? Anybody else love Kellogg's cornflakes? Load of milk, load of sugar, <laughs> two bowls for breakfast and another one for before you go to bed, yeah? I remember my dad joking about getting me a bucket for it one time. Um, it was funny at the time, actually. Um, more recently, as an adult, I got into something called crunchy nut cornflakes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now I'm preaching. Now I'm talking your language, eh, Dom? Okay. They don't even need sugar on them. So they're healthy, right? And they've got nuts in. So they're healthy, right? No, they're not healthy. They have honey caked to them. You pour the milk on, you wait five minutes, and oh, does that then taste amazing. So, of course, Joe says to me a couple of years ago, you know, you, you just really have to stop eating those. You have to get out of the habit. It's just like pouring sugar down your face. So I, I, um, so I did, and it was pretty hard work, to be honest. Because, I mean, as you know, sugar is a phenomenally addictive substance in whatever form you might take it. I, I, she said, you got, if you want to you sweeten your cereal, start eating fruit instead. Try raisins or bananas. I was like, really? But honestly, it doesn't take that long. It's hard work to start with. It doesn't take that long. So, the, so over the last couple of years, the only time I've ever had crunch nut cornflakes is if I've occasionally, very occasionally stayed in a hotel where they, um, where they give you those little boxes of cereal, you know? And I usually have two. <laughs> because it's so good. And then this year, at Christmas time, Joe actually bought me a box of crunch nut cornflakes for Christmas. Yeah, man. And you know, honestly, just being honest with you, for the first four or five days, it was fantastic. And then I started to really miss what I've got into eating, which is, you know, shreddies and bran flakes with nuts. And I honestly started to find it a little bit too sweet. I thought, gosh, my, change, my, habits, have, my habits have changed. My tastes have changed. It, it, it is possible to do that. It is possible to change a habit. Another bad habit I got into was snacking on bread and chocolate. Those are my weaknesses. Those are my downfalls. For me, bread is an incredibly comforting food, and I have to be so careful with it. I mean, I, if, if I felt upset, if I'd had a row with someone in the family, I would go straight to the bread bin. Two slices of bread. Just, I mean, I'd snack on it, and that, it's comforting. If I was lonely, I'd go straight down the shop and buy myself a Mars bar or two, you know? That's what I would do. It was, it was so obvious when I look back on it. I hope, I, I hope that some of this is relating to you, Okay? It took me a while to notice it. It took me a lot longer to reprogram my brain. To think about it. Remember that thing? It's, I haven't got a slide for it, but remember, I've said this before, that, that the word halt, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, those are the times when we're going to do something we regret. When we're hungry or angry or lonely or tired. Those are the times for me when I would eat. So what does it mean to honour God with the food that we eat? I'm not going to give you a nutrition lecture. I'm not qualified to do that. I know there are hundreds of diet strategies out there with all sorts of different focuses, ranging from the very straightforward to the very weird and obscure, to be honest. I've tried Weight Watchers in the past, where you count points. I've tried low GI diets to some success. But honestly, for me, 
I, I find it very difficult to stick to a program. Uh, you know, it could be your personality type, and that's what you need to do. You just need to have a plan. You need to stick to it. I think it's the rebel in me. I just have a real difficulty following rules. Um, but what has worked for me over the last year is simply eating a balanced and sensible diet and using an app to keep track of my calories and doing some exercise every day. And if you're looking for guidance on what that balanced and healthy diet is, I've actually reproduced it for you on your sheet over the other side. And this is from the government. This is government advice. It's very colourful and there's a lot to look at in there, so I'm not going to go into it now, but you can take it home and study it to your heart's content. It's called the Eat Well Guide. It's the most common and basic, straightforward food advice. And honestly, it's working for me so far. So now I've flagged this up, you're all looking at it intently and not listening to me at all. But as you can, as you can see, there's a, it's about having, your, having a load of green stuff on your plate, about having the right kind of um, starch, um, carbs, about having a small amount of dairy, about choosing the right beans and pulses and protein and stuff and the right oils. It is possible to do this without without, I don't think, without a lot of extra work and a lot of extra stress. Another piece of basic advice is simply to aim to reduce the amount of processed food we eat or refined food we eat and concentrate on what, what um, the Daniel Plan calls real whole food. Well, what does he mean by real whole food? This is what uh, Rick Warren says. He says, anything that is whole, fresh and unprocessed, stuff that your great-grandmother would recognise as food. A chicken, a vegetable, a bean, a nut, a grain, a fruit, an egg. They argue, and it's quite, their argument's quite convincing, I haven't got time to go into it now, but that real food actually has the ability to heal the body. They're quoting from some pretty breakthrough scientific research called Nutrigenomics, which um, shows that the food molecules do more than just provide fuel, they actually instruct and impact every cell in the body, which leads to relief from illness. Now, that stuff's way above my pay grade. But it stands to reason, doesn't it, that if we're focusing on food that comes out of the ground, the way that God created it, then it's going to have an impact on us. And have, if, if, if it's something that cre the Creator would plan, and we're just getting to grips with it, isn't it isn't, doesn't that stand to reason? Another slogan they use in the Daniel plan is this, if it was grown on a plant, eat it. If it was made in a plant, leave it on the shelf. And... Um, and there's that verse in the Bible, God says in Genesis chapter 1, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. Now in the UK, it looks like only about a quarter of us take this advice seriously. It says over here that 25% of men and 28% of women are likely to eat the recommended five portions of fruit and vegetable a day. And actually, 45% of men and 41% of women are going to eat fewer than three every day. So we as a nation haven't got to grips with this advice yet. I also read this. If you don't like vegetables, you've never had them cooked properly. Making time for food preparation is all part and parcel of eating well and being healthy. And I think it's how God intended it. Now there's loads more I could say about this subject, especially about the proliferation and dangers of processed sugar which I don't have to go into. There are just two things that have really helped me. One of them was doing a food detox, which the details are in that book. Um, Joe and I did it. We've done it twice. It takes 10 days. You basically cut out everything, as far as I can see. You cut out processed food, sugar, caffeine, bread, red meat, chocolate, and pretty much anything that tastes of anything. <laughs> That's what I felt like at the time. And yet, and yet it felt amazing. 
I, I mean, I lost a few pounds, but more importantly, I reprogrammed my taste buds. You would not believe, it's like rebooting a computer. You would not believe how good something as simple as a kiwi fruit tastes after you've not eaten anything that tastes of anything for 10 days. You know? Um, that's all there. I, I started to notice and record my food cues when I did that. I started to notice, you know, it was to do with emotions, it was to do with routines, certain places, certain times of the day that I would want to eat, and I would just go, oh, I'm really hungry. Certain places or certain feelings. And I also use an app called NutriCheck, which uh, I have a... I think I have a picture of on here. There you go. That's what I ate yesterday. If you can see, you can see that I just came in under my... Oh, it's too... Oh, shame. It's too faint for you to see. Um, I just came in under my, uh, under my limit yesterday. So that costs about £30 for a year's subscription, and it has a big database. You can pretty much type any food into it, and it will tell you the... It will give you the, the values and, and all the stuff you need to do. There are loads of other good apps available. And lastly, I just want to talk for just two or three minutes about fitness. A lot of time on food. Fitness. Daniel, you know who the Daniel plan is named after? Daniel in the Bible. It says, if you read in chapter 1, that he was physically, he was strong. It says he was, he was strong. He was really strong. Like food, exercise is really good for us. In most cases, it works better than medicine to help us stay fit and healthy. Everyone understands the need for physical fitness, but we don't all find it easy to act on. Again, there's a list here of the benefits of physical fitness. Exercise will help you increase energy, improve muscle strength, make you happier, reduce stress and anxiety and depression, make you look and feel years younger, manage your weight, decrease body fat, increase production, stimulate creativity, sharpen focus, promote restful sleep, enhance intimacy and relationships, strengthen bones, make you smarter, etc., etc. You can read the, the rest there. The prophet Daniel was strong. In body, mind, and heart, it says, it says he trained for three years to serve the king. And his training, diligent training, was physical and intellectual and spiritual. He wanted to serve the king. He wanted to honor his God. He wanted to do it through every part of his life. And for him, that meant being strong and fit and ready to do that. Again, in the New Testament, Paul instructs Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4.7, he says, physical training is of some value, Godliness has value for all things. You know, that word that Paul uses, train yourself, is gymnase, which is the Greek word from which we get the word gymnasium. Paul says, train yourself in a gym like one of the Greek athletes of the day. But even more, train yourself in godliness, in what God wants you to do. Paul often uses these, these athletic metaphors for the spiritual life, but he's making a point that physical training is all part of serving God being fit for life. We were designed to move. Medical people will tell you that our bodies are complex, balanced structures designed to do stuff. You can't actually physically do anything without using a muscle. Our muscles help us accomplish every physical task and they need looking after. And for many of us, our lifestyle has slowed us down and significant movement has sort of disappeared from our daily lives. I remember when... Um, my good friend Simon, who's um, back in Birmingham when I was, he first took me out running. He says, come on, you need to get running. I said, what? <laughs> and he made me run. So the first time I ran up to the field and then I couldn't run around it. You know, I met him at the field. It was about half a mile away. So what I used to do then for the first few weeks was drive to the field, <laughs> get out of the car and then run around the field with him. Oh, well, a run is a, good word for, is, a, is a good word for it. And then drive home like shaking like this. 
He was very patient and I improved and eventually I got in, I entered for a 10k race and, a, and a half, I did a half marathon in Birmingham. Everyone else ran past me in that race. And I would ride my, work, my bike to work regularly and that really helped. But since moving down here for three or four years the whole thing went to pot for me. And um, just with the, with the busyness and stress of the job and moving and all of that. And I only really decided to do this, take this seriously again last year. I do a bit of running off and on, but not in any coherent way, more really to assuage guilt than anything else. And I started going on to this outdoor fitness class, which again, I really enjoyed. But for me, I really needed some focus. Now, I'm going to talk about focus next week. But for us, the focus came in the shape of paying a personal trainer, which I've been doing since the summer. It costs me money to get fit. And because I'm shelling out money for one session a week, I'm therefore much more motivated to do the other three sessions that I do on my own. Actual money gets spent. And so I do running, and I found a 0-5k app, uh, which I use, which looks a bit like this. Uh, that's actually the 0-10k version. I finished the 5k version. There's a very sincere lady who comes on the app and goes, start walking. <laughs> start running. And then it's re you know that you're really doing well when she says, You've reached the halfway point. Or, and this is the one that I really believe, it's so sincere. She says, you're doing great. <laughs> I'm like, how do you know? But it helped me stretch out my distance until I got to 5K. And I've entered this 10K race coming up in about six weeks' time. And so, yes, at the start of last year, I couldn't run for more than one or two minutes without needing to stop and rest. And yesterday, I ran about 7K in about just in about an hour. Now, as I said, this race. Now, listen, I don't love running. I'm not passionate about it. It's a means to an end for me. I quite like getting out of the house, putting my headphones on, and having a bit of peace and space to myself. Um, listening to stuff on my phone, like the Bible, or teaching, or radio shows, or podcasts. And the other thing I do is I go to this boot camp fitness class in Winchester, which is really hard work. I mean, I'm usually the last to finish most of the activities. I'm definitely in the bottom half of the group when it comes to levels of fitness but nobody's judgmental which is really nice and uh, just to prove to you here we are out the other night this is what our instructors that i'm not on that one i'm going to show you me in a minute this is one of this is one of the photos our instructors post on facebook after um by the way the beer can the beer barrels are empty not full um there you go just to prove it it's a bit faint but you can just see me here doing some squats um i made it onto one of his hey i'm not sitting down no there's nothing underneath me <laughs> About 10's my limit, so you know, don't go, don't, don't push me. Actually, Joe's dad is 80, and uh, for his 80th birthday, he decided he wanted to increase his fitness so that he could do 80 press-ups by his 80th birthday, which he managed. Not all in one go, but over the, on the day. He, did a, he now does about 40 regularly every day. That's his thing that he does, which is amazing. My current goal is to lose two stone in weight, which I'm about three-quarters of the way to. I will, I will have to lose more after that, but I've only got this goal in mind at the, at the minute. One time, Martin, my trainer, brought with him an army rucksack, a Bergen, with two stones worth of weight in it. And he made me carry it and run all the way around the field. And then he made me let go of it and run all the way around the field again. And he was like, and that's what it's going to feel like when you've lost two stone in weight. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. You know? One other practical tip that works for me is just to get my uh, running kit out the night before if I'm going in the morning. 
it makes, you wouldn't believe what a difference it makes. You get up in the morning, your kit isn't out, it's dark, you're like, oh, I can't be bothered. You know, just, just sort of sets the tone psychologically. So anyway, these are all practical things. You don't have to run to get exercise. You don't have to be, do what I'm doing. There are loads of ways to get moving. The advice from the Daniel plan is to take time to really discover what it is that moves you. Find out what moves you, what makes you move. I've noticed that people, some, some people like to do their exercise on their own. Some people like to do it in company. Both are really good. Be creative. Ask the Lord. How can I better honour God with my body and enjoy physical exercise and eat the right stuff? Now, is, is Kathy here today? Kathy O'Connor? Yeah, she's there right at the back. Now, Kathy, her job, she just, just stand up and wave and everyone can turn around and look at you. Okay? This is Kathy, and Kathy's job is that she's a physiotherapist working with older people in the community and trying to encourage them to get moving. And she said, actually, she said to me, it doesn't matter what age you are, if you would like some advice or help in how to get moving, she's right there and she'll be there at the end of the service. Just you know, which is practical wisdom. So we've got people here who can help if this is an area that you want to do something about. Thank you for that offer.